Scripture reading this morning is coming from Ephesians 2, a well-known passage, I think Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. The Sermon in Jonah, we're going to be looking at God's mercy and grace to the Ninevites, and it's good to remind us what God has done for us as well. We can look at that in the words of Ephesians 2. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus and to us today. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. This morning our sermon comes from Jonah chapter 3. That's Jonah chapter 3. As you turn there, we've had a little bit of time since we were in Jonah together. And if you remember, uh, Jonah chapter 2 is really Jonah's repentance. It's a a song of his thanksgiving um, as he is in the belly of the great fish. What we we saw there was that God is working in the life of Jonah. He's actually working in the life of all of us to teach us, his sinful children, about his saving grace. We all need to continue to learn that lesson in our lives. And this week... We're going to see God's mercy and grace in action in a very unexpected and dramatic way in the life of the Ninevites. So let's let's read Jonah chapter 3 together. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands." Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster they had said he would do to them. 
and he did not do it. What do you find surprising about this passage? What do you find surprising about this story? You know, when I was a kid, it was the animals that were dressed in sackcloth. That always st- stood out to me. Why in the world would you dress up your, your animals like that? What, what was the point of it? Um, maybe what you found surprising is the whole city turning to God. This is 120,000 people, right? This is a huge city. Even by today's standards, it's large. And 120,000 people turn to God. This is nothing short of a revival. Maybe that's what you find surprising here. You know, for an Israelite like Jonah, though, he would have found something not just surprising, but shocking, downright shocking in this passage. And it's who turns to God. It's the Ninevites, an entire city of the enemies of God who are known for being cruel and for fighting against God's people, an entire city of no good, dirty enemies of God turns to him. That would have been shocking. These are the last people that anyone from Israel would have thought should have turned to God or even deserved to turn to God. But that actually shows us that at the heart of this passage is a truth that's even more surprising because it's God who's at work to turn the Ninevites to himself. In this passage, we see that God shows the Ninevites abundant mercy. He shows them mercy by sending his word and by using his power to change them and to bring them to repentance and faith. What we see in this passage is the gospel. The gospel clear and center. And this is the main idea here. God shows his great mercy and grace by bringing repentance and forgiveness to sinners. Even as bad as the Ninevites, even as bad as you and me, God shows great mercy and great grace by bringing repentance and forgiveness to sinners. This passage is about the Ninevites and what God has done for them, but God did not stop with the Ninevites. You and I, if we are in Christ, we know that grace and forgiveness personally. We know God's power in our lives And we know God's promise that he is going to continue to do this work in our lives and through us in the lives of others. As we look at God's grace and mercy in this passage, we'll see it in three basic points. First, we'll see that God restores his messenger in verses 1 through 4. Then we'll see that God works repentance and faith in verses 5 through 9. And third, we'll see God shows abundant mercy in verse 10. Let's begin with God restoring his messenger Jonah in verses 1 through 4. Chapter 3 begins in almost the exact same way that the whole book started with God speaking to Jonah. Listen, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. But this time, it's the second time. God speaks the second time. And gives him the exact same mission that he was supposed to do way back in chapter 1. Go to Nineveh and speak God's word. But if you think about what God is doing, it's amazing that there even was a second time for Jonah. Jonah had done everything possible to run away from God and from God's work. And even though God saved him, remember he rescued him, Uh, And there were signs of change in Jonah. Just look at his prayer. We see Jonah changing. 
Even though all those things were true, most of us probably would not have given Jonah a second chance. We would not have given Jonah such an important mission to go and preach to all these unbelievers in this faraway land. But God graciously does. God restores Jonah. Now and only now, after what Jonah has experienced, after he's actually felt God's grace, he knows that God is a merciful God. Now and only now is Jonah ready for the mission that God has sent him on. You know, we we actually know what that's like, maybe in a little way, but that kind of thing happens in our life too. God teaches us in order to use us. Let me give you an example. We all say we believe in God's sovereignty, right? We see it in the Bible. We believe it. But then so often we have to learn it by experience. When God makes us live by his promises and trust his plan, even when we can't see the reason. And so often what God is doing there is he's working in our lives, not just for our good, but to use us then in the lives of others. He's teaching us that lesson so that we can serve other people as well. So God hasn't given up on Jonah. Actually, he's been at work in Jonah. We saw some of that in chapter 2. We see even more evidence of God's work in the beginning of chapter 3. Notice what happens. Verse 3, this is Jonah. Here's the word and here's the change. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. This time there's no complaining, no arguing, just immediate obedience. God has done something in Jonah's life. I want you to put yourself in Jonah's place for a moment. Because think about what God is telling him to do. This kind of obedience requires great faith because Jonah is going to the enemy. He's going to the Ninevites to proclaim a message of judgment to them. Look at verse 4. This is what his whole message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Would you want that kind of message? Would you want to be that kind of prophet? I mean, Jonah has no idea how the Ninevites are going to respond. He has every reason to believe that they are going to kill him. What else would he expect when he tells them that their city is going to be destroyed by God in 40 days? So as Jonah obeys here, he obeys in great faith. Now we're going to see in chapter 4 especially, there's a whole lot more that Jonah's got to learn. But don't skip over the changes that we already see in Jonah's life. God has been graciously at work in Jonah to prepare him to preach to the Ninevites. And that leads us to our second point, that God works faith and repentance in verses 5 through 9. Because God sends Jonah to preach his word to the Ninevites. Again, it's a, this is probably a, a summary of his message, but it's short and to the point. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That is a very clear message, and it's a very serious message. And that serious message of God produces a dramatic response in the lives of the Ninevites. Look at verse 5. It's it's kind of like a summary of the response of the Ninevites. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. That summary statement in verse 5 is kind of fleshed out in verses 6 to 9 as we see more changes in the lives of the Ninevites. And as we look at these changes, there's there's a few things to notice about their response. First, see that the Ninevites responded 
quickly. Jonah was only preaching for one day. He was only preaching for one day, and the entire city started to turn to God. If you think about what that means, Jonah did not get to reach everybody. The Ninevites spread the message of God's judgment to their neighbors and friends and anyone who would listen. So the Ninevites respond quickly. It's also important to see that all the Ninevites responded. That comes out in this passage in a couple of different ways. It says in verse 5, from the greatest them to the least of them, they did all these things. And then in verse 6, we see the king of Nineveh actually getting off his throne, taking off his robe, putting on sackcloth, and sitting in the ashes. The king here really stands out. This is one of the most powerful men of the ancient world. This is not somebody you would ever expect to show any humility, let alone doing this. I mean, just put it in modern context. Pick your, your, your least favorite, maybe least favorite world leader. Most powerful, maybe. Think of Vladimir Putin. Kim Jong-un, pick anybody. Wouldn't it be shocking if this is what they did, that they humbled themselves publicly, not behind closed doors, humbled themselves publicly and confessed their sins? That is the shock of what we see, that all the people of Nineveh, even the king, humble themselves before God. But we also see in what the Ninevites do that they are responding thirdly with seriousness. They take God's message seriously. That's really the point of the fasting that they call for. The wearing sackcloth, sitting in ashes. Think about what is being said. No one ate any food. No one drank any water, not even the animals. And everyone took off those regular clothes and they put on the scratchy, itchy clothes of sackcloth. The Ninevites did these things as a way of showing repentance and humility. We see this actually throughout the Bible. This is very common. Fasting and sackcloth, sitting in ashes, they're supposed to be outward ways, external ways of showing grief and repentance and humility before God. The Ninevites' response is not over the top. It is exactly in line with the seriousness of God's message and the seriousness of their own sin. But notice, fourthly, that the Ninevites respond by turning from that sin. They turn from their sin and they turn to God. You see this especially in the king's commands. He, he commands them to turn away from their sin. They, they turned away from their evil lifestyles and their frequent violence. And instead of doing all those things, they actually turn to God. They begin to call mightily on God to spare them. These are pagan Ninevites now praying to God. Why do they do all these things? Why is there such a dramatic change in their lives? Well, that actually leads us to the most important thing to notice about the Ninevite response. They respond to God's mercy. Look at the king's words in verse 9. They know they're going to be judged, but notice verse 9 in particular. Who knows? God may turn and relent. And he may turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Those words are the key to the entire passage. Because the Ninevites have heard Jonah's message. They know God is a holy God. They know that they deserve to be destroyed because of their sins. But if that were all they know, if they only knew that God were a God of wrath, then they should just give up. They should give up because there would be no hope for them. But they know and believe that God is also a God of mercy. God may actually turn and relent and not destroy them. 
And their actions show that they actually believe that to be true. Now, they aren't trying to twist God's arm and make him change. Like if, you, if they just repented hard enough or, or deep enough or dramatically enough, then God would look down and change his mind. No, we can't change God's mind. That's not what the Ninevites are trying to do. But the Ninevites are rightly responding to God's threatened judgment. Their repentance matters because maybe for the first time in their lives, they are seeing the seriousness of their sin. They're looking at their sin rightly and recognizing how much they have offended a holy God. And they're responding, responding in repentance and faith. They're responding in the right way. But ultimately, their hope lies not in what they're doing, but their hope lies in God's character. God might freely choose to be merciful and spare them. It all depends on God. Now, you might look actually at what Jonah says here and wonder how in the world the Ninevites would know about God's mercy. Uh, But God's mercy is built right into this message of judgment. Even in this short summary, listen, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. There is a 40-day delay in God's plan. That delay is a merciful, gracious delay. God is giving the people of Nineveh a chance to respond to his message of judgment. God didn't have to warn the Ninevites at all about his judgment. Think about God's judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see that in the book of Genesis. God sends an angel to the city only to warn Lot, who is righteous. He never tells anybody else that in a few short hours, he's going to wipe that city off the face of the earth. God does not have to tell the Ninevites that they're going to face a similar judgment. And he doesn't even have to give them 40 days. But if you see it that way, if you see what God is doing, then actually this whole passage is full of God's mercy and grace. God is being so merciful and gracious to the Ninevites who don't deserve it. Let me show you another example here. God graciously proclaims his word to the Ninevites. Telling someone about their sin and God's judgment might not sound very gracious or very merciful, but it is. It's a kind of, of incredibly uncomfortable mercy. It is gracious because it is something that God doesn't have to do. You know, everybody knows that they're a sinner. That's what Paul says in Romans 1. We're born that way. We know our sin because we are sinners. We know what God requires of us, and we know that we've sinned. We've turned our back on God. You don't have to tell anybody. In one sense, you don't have to convince anybody that they're a sinner. But it's gracious and merciful to tell them that because we want to lie to ourselves. We want to hide from our own sin. So God does this for the Ninevites. God uses his word through Jonah to expose the Ninevites in their sin. They are brought face to face with God, and they see their sin and the judgment they deserve. This is actually incredibly important, powerful, yet uncomfortable mercy and grace on God's part. Do you remember when God did something like that in your life? Maybe it was the first time, if you can remember this, maybe it was the first time that God convicted you of your sin. That was a gracious, merciful act of your God to show you that. But he doesn't give up on us. Even in our lives now, as we still struggle with sin, there are so many times in your life and in my life that God continues to graciously, mercifully expose our sin, to show us our sin, and to point us to Jesus Christ. He is showing us the truth about ourselves. He's showing us the truth about himself, just like he did with the Ninevites. 
So in this passage, we see so clearly God's mercy and God's grace, but we also see God's power. You know, I asked earlier, why are the Ninevites doing any of these things? Why are there such dramatic changes in their life? And I said it was because they know and believe that God is merciful. And that's true. But how did they know that? How did they believe that, more importantly, and how did they change? It's because of God and what He did. The Ninevites responded in repentance and in faith because God was powerfully at work in their hearts. You know, it's true. We know this. It is God alone that produces repentance and salvation and faith in our lives. But we can go wrong when we think about that kind of repentance and faith. Think about the Ninevites. The Ninevites did not respond rightly to Jonah's message because they were basically good people already and they just needed some good life advice. Okay, the Ninevites and every single other person is dead in their sins, unable to repent and believe. We saw that in Ephesians 2. They and every other person needs God's work. But also, and this is important too, the Ninevites did not respond rightly because Jonah was such an amazing preacher. Sometimes we kind of feel that we can convince somebody into the kingdom. We can just kind of say the right thing and they'll believe. No, not even the best preacher. Take your pick. Not even the best preacher can produce repentance and faith in somebody. But a faithful preacher can be used by God to do that. A faithful preacher like Jonah, who proclaims God's word and God's word alone. As we see in this passage, God works powerfully through his word in the hearts of the Ninevites. He took that word and through his spirit, he powerfully applied it to the lives of the Ninevites. We see that in our own lives and in the lives of people we know that every spiritual change you see in somebody, every spiritual change that we ourselves experience is because of God working. First and foremost, it's God working powerfully by his word and his spirit in our lives. So so as much as we see the Ninevites and we see their response to God's work, and it's amazing, we actually see, even more importantly, God powerfully acting in mercy and grace to produce that response, to produce that repentance, to produce that faith and trust in Him. All the way through this passage, we see God, His character, and His work. He is a merciful, gracious, and powerful God. And that leads us finally to our third and final point. We see God shows abundant mercy in verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God spared Nineveh. This is abundant mercy. He spared them from the judgment that they rightly, justly deserved. But did he do it because of their actions? Did he change his mind because of what they were doing? I mean, it says that he saw what they did and he relented. Their repentance and faith really do matter. Don't don't miss that. Those are things that God requires actually of each one of us. But our repentance and our faith are not the reason that God saves us. No, he saves us because he graciously chooses to do that. And because he has chosen to save us then... He works repentance and faith in us through the work of Jesus Christ. And that was true for the Ninevites as well. You know, that that shows us, if you think about what God is doing for the Ninevites, that shows us that God's mercy was already part of God's plan. God had planned 
to be merciful to the Ninevites. He had planned to relent and not destroy them. So when it says that God relented, he wasn't changing his mind. God doesn't change. And we should be very thankful and glad for that, that God doesn't change. And God was not basing his actions on ours. It's not, you know, God will look at us and see what we do, and then then he'll change his mind or respond accordingly. No, that makes us more powerful than God. That's not true. No, what looks to us like change, like here in these verses, is just God carrying out the next step in the plan that he already had. So God had freely chosen to be merciful and gracious to the Ninevites. And we see that the reason he does this, the reason he chooses this, is because this is who he is. This is his character. Jonah says this in the very next verses. In Jonah 4.2, Jonah says he knew, he, would, he knew God would spare Nineveh. He says, I knew. I know you, God. I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew that God is a God of mercy. See, it didn't really sit well with Jonah. Jonah had some more lessons to learn. But this is who God says he is. He is a God of mercy. God says something similar to Moses, actually, in Exodus 33, and it's picked up by Paul, and Paul's talking about election in Romans 9. Listen to God's word. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God says he is a merciful and gracious God, and it's not up to the person. It's up to God's choice. But we also see God's mercy in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 18 is actually very similar to what we see in this whole passage. God is teaching Jeremiah and Israel about his sovereign mercy, and he says, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck it up and destroy it, and if that nation, read Ninevites here, if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I've intended to do to it. God promises mercy. God promises mercy, not just to Israel, but that passage is connected to Israel, but to any nation, the Ninevites or anyone else, who hears God's word and truly repents and turns to him in faith. So do you you see this passage here? God does care about our actions, but he has chosen to be merciful and he gives us what we require. He gives us repentance and faith. And that leads us to see the gospel so clearly here because God is freely gracious and merciful to us only in Jesus Christ. God is just and he's also merciful. God is holy and he's also gracious. So because God is just and holy, our sins have to be dealt with. They have to be dealt with. God cannot stand sin. He can't stand our sin and we can't fix the problem ourselves. No, the good news of the gospel is that God himself does it. Jesus Christ, God's own son, who took our own nature, who came down to live and die in our place, he did it for us, not ourselves. This this central truth of the gospel is captured so powerfully in a hymn by Horatius Bonar. We, We sing it sometimes. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. God was merciful and gracious like that to the Ninevites. 
And he is gracious and merciful to us because of his son, Jesus Christ, and his work on our behalf. We experience God's abundant mercy now because God's abundant wrath fell on Jesus Christ. Christ died in our place. And God now gives us the repentance and the faith that we need because of Christ, because Christ obeyed for us. My repentance is never, ever going to be good enough. And you know that's true in your life too. Our faith is never going to be strong enough. But in Christ and in Christ alone, I am accepted by God. And Christ's perfect faith, perfect righteousness is counted as mine. This is the gospel. And this is what we see in Jonah chapter 3. God shows grace and mercy to sinners in Jesus Christ. He did it in the Ninevites. He has done it in our own lives. And he's going to continue to do it to the people right around us. So we close this morning. Just think about how this passage applies to our life. God's mercy and grace demands a response. That's the first application. God's mercy and grace demands a response. God has been so merciful and so gracious to each one of us. We don't even know half of what God has done for us. And especially if you are not a believer this morning, you need to respond to God's mercy and grace in faith and repentance. You are just as bad as one of those Ninevites. You were born a sinner and you are living a life that is opposed to God. And God right now is being so, so merciful to you to not judge you right here and right now for your sin. And instead of doing that, what he is doing through the preaching of the word is to freely offer you salvation in Jesus Christ, a salvation that you don't deserve. You know, the apostle Peter says God is patient now, abundantly patient. He is patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But God is also very clear that if you do not return to him in faith and repentance, he will judge you for your sins. This passage is a clear call to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. Turn to Christ and be saved. But secondly, we see a second application here is that God's mercy and grace transforms our life. Yet we see in this passage how mercy and grace lead to repentance and faith in the lives of the Ninevites. And that same pattern is true for all who turn to Christ in faith. But it's more than just a moment of faith and repentance. No, it's a lifetime of faith and repentance, confessing our sins and trusting in Christ. And God's mercy and grace are the driving force of that kind of life. God's mercy and grace enable us to see our sin, to see it rightly, to see how God sees it, to confess our our sins because we know he's a gracious God and to hold more tightly to Christ. So God's mercy and grace transforms our life giving us that repentance and faith that we need. But it also leads to joy and worship as we continue to learn about who he is, as we see him for who he is, and as we see his work for us. Let me just third and finally, just an encouragement here that God's mercy and grace is what the world needs to hear. Ask yourself this question, who needs God's mercy more, the Ninevites or your neighbors? It's a trick question, right? Everyone, everyone needs to hear about God's mercy and grace. They need that mercy and grace in order to be saved. But let me just drive something home from this passage. In Jonah's day, what happened with the Ninevites did not happen a lot. 
People outside of Israel did not come to faith very frequently because God had chosen in that period of salvation history to keep salvation mainly for Israel. But we don't live in that time period anymore. We live when the gospel is spreading to the ends of the earth. After Jesus' work, God has opened the doors of salvation to everyone. We see that in Jesus' great commission. And throughout the New Testament, Jews and Gentiles from every tribe, from every tongue, and from every nation will be saved. And you and I have a part to play in this. Because God may use you to tell your neighbor about the grace and mercy of God in Jesus Christ. And hopefully not just to say in words, but to show in your actions, to show the same grace and the mercy that God has shown to you, you have the opportunity and the privilege to show to others. And this passage here is such an encouragement as we do this work of God because we see so clearly the power and grace and mercy of God and we see that God can even use someone like Jonah. God can even use someone who turned his back on God to proclaim that message. And if he can use Jonah, he can use you. He can use me to do those things, to show and to tell God's grace and mercy and power to someone who is as needy for the gospel as the Ninevites were. The encouragement from the passage is not that it's on you and that you're going to do such a good job and that everything will work out. No, the encouragement is that God is a gracious, merciful, and powerful God and he has chosen to use you in his plan, but he ultimately is the one who's going to work and work salvation in his people. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, these are really glorious truths. It's just so amazing to see what a, what a gracious and merciful and powerful God you really are. And Lord, we know that by experience. We see it in your word. We see it time and time again in your scripture. And we pray that we believe what you have said. But Lord, we know it by experience because we know that you saved us. We didn't deserve to, to believe in you. We're just as bad as those Ninevites. And yet you chose us. Uh, you freely chose us and you graciously worked in us and you were merciful to us and you are right now and you are powerfully at work in our lives. Lord, we pray that what you have said and what we know in our own lives, Lord, that you would make us faithful to proclaim to others. And Lord, we pray that we would continue to see your work. Uh, Lord, that people from Yorktown and Newport News and Hampton and wherever we come from would hear the message of the gospel and turn and believe. Lord, we can pray big prayers like that because you are such a great God. We see it in the life of Jonah and we see it today. We pray that you would act according to your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.